All right, so here we are again with the next part in our series, Glimpses of a Golden Childhood, which is a book by Osho. As you know, we've been taking a few anecdotes, a few little stories from that book and discussing them in this series. And in this part, in this chapter, we're talking about women. And just to take a brief look at how Osho treated women and what his philosophy was. First of all, there is a book called The Book of Woman, and that was compiled by a German sannyasin who basically went through all the Osho literature and took out all the questions about women and compiled them into a book. So it's a compilation book, and that is very highly recommended. There's a lot of heavy questions in there that he answers and he discusses. But essentially, the idea is that women have been suppressed. Women have been abused. Women have been taken advantage of for centuries. And our job, our work, is to liberate women. It is to allow them their full expression, their ability to dance, their ability to be creative, their ability to feel alive, to feel many feelings. And Osho speaks very strongly about this. He has a very hard hit. And another thing is that, well, women are the stronger sex. Men are actually quite weak compared to women in so many ways. Now, in terms of The physical side of things, normally men have more body strength than women. But that is only really one measure of strength. It's only one way to gauge how strong someone is. And in many of the other ways in which we gauge that, women are stronger. They're stronger emotionally. They're stronger spiritually. They're stronger in their perceptions, their sensitivity, their ability to be aware, their receptivity. And the list goes on and on and on. So Osho speaks quite passionately about this. And you could ask, well, what was his personal relationship with women? Now, Osho did get with women. He did have sex with multiple women. He had intimate relationships with with hundreds, if not thousands of women. And this was quite a shock to many people because at first you might think, well, he's this spiritual guy. He's this sort of soft-spoken enlightened master and you sort of wonder well he probably didn't have sex he was into celibacy or something like that and you could you could sort of see why people might think that but that's not the case and <laughs> i think to his family members or at least some of his family members it was a shock for him to say well i'm not going to be a celibate monk i'm actually going to go out and explore my sexuality and you could say well Was there a scandal? Was there a a sex scandal, right? This is the classic sort of guru scandal or sort of public outcry. And of course, no, right? There's just no scandal because he is what he is. He admits what he does. He's real and honest with everything that he believes about himself, including his sexuality. And there are books that have been written about Osho's personal sex life. 
very much in the vein of, wow, look at this scandal or look at this sort of like out, like inciting outrage. And it's sort of like, I mean, I look at that and I think, well, okay, so Osho has 300 books that he's written. And in addition to that, there's probably a few hundred books by people who knew Osho personally that Osho asked to write books. And in many of those cases, that was because the person that Osho was working with had a technique or a message or a story or something very important to convey. There was some lesson there that needed to be conveyed in relation to Osho's work, in relation to Osho's message. So that's why Osho asked people to write books specifically. And then in addition to all that, well, there would be hundreds if not thousands of books by people who knew Osho personally and then just decided, well, I'll talk about my personal experiences because that would be an interesting story. And it is a bit of a a money grab at a certain point, right? Like another example of this is Picasso. Picasso is one of those figures who was so big and so such a massive cultural phenomenon that if you knew him personally and you wrote a book, there would be enough in the Picasso brand that you could sell that book, right? There would be some legs to it, even if what you were saying wasn't really that much true and wasn't really much even interesting or to the point of Picasso's work, right? So, yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems like if you just had one conversation with Picasso, then that would count as, well, being his intimate lover and then, well, you should write a book about it. <laughs> so that's another sort of example. But to look at all that and say, well, what are you really wanting to study? What do you really want to get out of his lessons? What do you really want to get out of his teachings? Wouldn't you go to hear what exactly he is on about himself to learn his message rather than to hear about some scandal? I mean, it just goes to show, like, what are you interested in? Are you interested in a sex scandal or or are you interested in higher consciousness? That's really what it comes down to. And who knows? I mean, there, there probably was all sorts of terrible things, right? There are many terrible things written about Osho and his commune and his people. I've heard the stories. Not everyone did have a positive experience. There were many chapters in the Osho history, in the Osho saga, that were quite dark, that were quite hurtful to a lot of people. There are many sides to every story, but it really comes back to you. Like, what do you want to learn? What do you want to get out of this? Do you want to learn about how to improve yourself, how to transform yourself, how to live more deeply, how to open to other cultures, how to open to complex ideas, to new ideas? Or are you just interested in a scandal? That's really the question you have to face. Now, there's a few funny things Osho says about women in this book, Glimpses of a Golden Childhood. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. 
about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And Osho says he would kill the Holy Ghost and put a woman in its place. And it's sort of funny because there is a misogyny attitude, a misogynistic attitude implied in the Holy Trinity, right? God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's like, well, it's very obvious who's missing. It's mum and dad and the son. So why is the mother replaced with the Holy Ghost? And that's a very funny observation. And of course, the way Osho expresses that is insightful and funny. Another thing he notes is that his nanny, or one of his carers, waited for love to marry. And she didn't actually get married until she was 24. So normally in that culture in that time, girls got married at the age of nine. And she was strong enough to say, no, I'm going to marry the right person. I'm not going to go through with an arranged marriage. I'm going to marry someone I really love. And that is a rather big, strong story or phenomenon. It's almost like an archetypal story of the person who could marry someone when it's clearly wrong for them or they could wait and find the right person, right? Probably most famously, Jane Austen covered that archetype in her book, Pride and Prejudice. But it's in other stories as well, right? Jane Austen is just the most famous English literature version of that. So that's another interesting thing. And then another thing Osho says is <laughs> a nagging woman is a pain in the neck. And he sort of he sort of says, oh, because one, one, one of his assistants is a woman and a Jew. And he says, well, even God would rather the Holy Ghost if you were a Jew and a woman as a wife. And it's sort of like you, you sort of hear these jokes and you, you sort of like you read it and you get taken aback like, whoa, are you being anti-Semitic, right? Are you are you being against the Jews all of a sudden? You're persecuting the Jews and it's like this sort of hit, but then it's also switched around into this kind of compliment, right? Osho wouldn't ever uphold a part of you which is less than your better self or your higher consciousness. And of course, right? Respect your heritage, respect your Jewish background. But it's also like you need to go beyond that. And really, really, I can understand him when he says a nagging woman is a real pain in the neck. There's there's really, there's really nothing more hurtful than that. And so much more of a distasteful thing in a relationship. A nagging woman who's just being tedious with how they manipulate you and how they really just try to control what it is that's happening. And of course, well, when you're in intimate relationships, there's complex backs and forths and there's learnings and there's things happening on both sides. So <laughs> that's probably a subject for another day. That's maybe one of the rabbit holes we can discuss at greater length. And Another funny thing, or, well, this is not so funny so much as it's important for illustrating how Osho felt about women, is that the first sannyasin that he initiated as one of his official followers was a woman. And 
that he did on principle, that he actually he actually had a man and a woman, a husband and wife, and it was all set up as to the moment, the day, right? He'd worked out the ceremony, he'd worked out the the vibe of the place and the whole thing that he had built up and put thought around and organized into, okay, he's going to officially start bringing sannyasins into his following, right? So it's a big event. It is quite a serious thing because there was a lot of momentum around Osho up until that point. And for him to have the opportunity to say, okay, it's the man or the woman, and to say specifically, no, it's going to be the woman you have to leave and come back later, then that really says something that he did on principle, that he made sure that it was a woman that was initiated first. And another one of those funny sayings that he has is, the best man for a job, the best man for the job is probably a woman. And that's a common saying, right? That's not just Osho's idea, but Osho was hip to that idea. And of course, it's it's very much true. So that's a little bit about his stories and what he says about women. And in my personal experience, I mean, I went to one of his institutions and I noticed that a lot of the time it was women that were in charge. There were a lot of women in place in positions of power, right? The managers, the facilitators, the workers, and all the rest of them. There were very much a, I would say, even more of an emphasis on women in places of power, in positions of power in his institute. And I believe this was the same in his day as well. And even beyond that, because of the even mix between men and women, you can see that there is an equality there. There is a celebrating of something that's beyond gender there and i think there's there's probably even more like if i had to guess i would say more women are drawn to osho than men but of course you know that's that's a hard thing to say you know in in terms of uh like to really make that a solid statement is impossible that's just my general sort of feeling and they're drawn to women. I mean, women are drawn to Osho because they feel they can express themselves. They feel they can open up to the new woman, what the new woman is. And you might say, well, was Osho a feminist? And the answer is not exactly. Not exactly, because you can't say yes or no to that because of what feminism means today and what sort of implications that has, because the word feminism has changed quite considerably since Osho's time. But what you can say is that Osho was pro-women. He was pro-encouraging them, supporting them, giving them a new vision of what it means for them to live a conscious life, to live on a deeper level. And... To have that and to really work for it is a beautiful thing. That is an amazing thing. It is a rare thing 
very few institutions, even today, even higher consciousness institutions, address this issue of the emancipation of women, the the freeing of women, the allowing of women to have their full strength. So that's a little bit about Osho and women. And I believe his mother did become a sannyasin. She was at least living with him in his institution, in his ashram, up until his last days, I believe. Or did did she die? I don't know if she died before he did. I can't remember. I mean, he was only 58 when he died, so it might have been that she outlived him, but I can't remember. So anyway, that's probably enough for this segment. So thanks very much. We'll be back very soon. You can check out the next part in the series. And that's all I have to say for now.